Hello, this is international football commentator Derek Ray, and you're listening to the Ranks FC podcast. Hello, Rank Squad, and welcome to Ranks FC. It's your favourite football podcast back for another week. My name is Jack Collins, and I will be your host today. And joining me in studio, in person, mm. which is rare for a Wednesday episode, is Mr. Dean Jones. How you doing, my friend? I'm good, mate. Yeah, this is all very weird, isn't it? A Wednesday episode, we're, we're not recording this remotely. We are together, and Sam is not here. No, Sam is not here. It's just, just two us. of us. And there's no guest either. There's no guest. We are actually in ranking mode, the two of us, which is rare these days. You get, yeah. um, we're getting a special today. And this is a real special. We're going to look at all three of the major European competitions left, which which are all now at the semi-final stage, and we're going to rank the four teams in each uh, according to how likely they, we think they are to win it. So yeah. quite a lot to get through, and for that reason, we are going to put things we love on the back burner until yep. next week. We're going to start this with a big segment on the Champions League. We're going to follow it in part two with a bit about the Europa League and the Conference League, where I'll be taking over the ranking from Dean, and then we'll finish, as usual, with a melon and the gibberish rankings. But... Let's get into it, DJ. I think we just stick into here and, and get into the Champions League where it's been incredibly exciting. Yeah, I've never done this before. This is literally Sam's job. Um, taking it off him. This is like You only him... normally get to do transfer ones. Yeah, this is like him doing a transfer one. Uh, maybe I'll pass that on to him in the summer when I go on holiday. But um, yeah, me ranking the Champions League last four. Didn't see this coming, but I'm ready for the task. And I've absolutely nailed it because this is how it's going to pan out. Exactly how these four are listed. I'll go in at four and begin with an apology to Villarreal because they are four. Unbelievable campaign. Unbelievable. They've come through a group of Atalanta, Man United and Young Boys. They've knocked out Juventus and Bayern. And Unai Emery is a mastermind. He's an absolute genius. Um, He's had his reputation in the mud at times at PSG and Arsenal. He has put it all behind him. And he's like, no, I'm a good boss. I know what I'm doing. I know what I'm doing. Very good knockout football, European football boss. Now, Villarreal struggling a little bit in the league again. Yeah. Um, but this is what he does. He gets to the sharp end it's of European weird, competitions. very weird, but this is what he does. You're right. Like, he's absolutely nailed the art of being good at cup competitions, particularly European ones. Villarreal are the team we consistently underestimate. So here I am to carry that on and say that this is where it ends for Villarreal at the Champions League semi-final stage. Um, also, you know, Gerard Moreno does have a hamstring injury, which I don't think helps them. No. Um, so that is another reason. It's not just it's not just because they are such a small club. Like they really are punching above their weight, and like that does count for a lot. Like, it's amazing that they're in this Champions League semi-final and I would love to see them win because it would be unbelievable. But the first leg of this semi-final, they go into Anfield to face Liverpool. That is a monumental task and they will be doing well if they come out of it alive. If there's still something to play for in the second leg, then they've done very well. Um, I'm afraid I have to say Villarreal is full to lose. Yeah, I think you, I think it's okay to put Villarreal here, like because naturally it's the the place in the order, right? In that if you're looking at this, and I suppose we have to, and I'm sure we're going to spend a lot of time looking at this in terms of percentage chance of where you think they're going to win the competition. It would be mad not to have Villarreal at the bottom, of it. and I think you can do that without knocking their achievements in getting here. Yeah. I think you, you know the only thing here they can hope for is that Liverpool underestimate them in the same way. I you imagine, but well, no, it's not even you though, because this is fair. It would be an upset if they were to beat Liverpool, a massive upset. In the same way, it was an upset when they beat Bayern. It was an upset when they beat Juventus. It was an upset last year when they beat Manchester United in the Europa League final. It was probably an upset when they beat Arsenal in the semis. Yeah. So you're looking at this and going, if every one of them is an upset, you can't then be like, oh, they were the favourites because they're not. And 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 I think ultimately you can still pay homage and pay respect to Villarreal and what they've achieved. And what, you know, I, I don't think this is going to be a walkover by any stretch of the imagination. I really don't. I think it's going to be a competitive game, probably more competitive than what Benfica gave Liverpool in the last round. Because although the game at Anfield ended level, it did feel like they were at kind of touching distance at all times. Liverpool just had them at arm's length. Mm. Um, I'd imagine this is going to be tighter than that because Villarreal are so well drilled and because they're so used to this kind of occasion now under Unai Emery. Mm. Um, but they're still underdogs. 
Yeah, of course, yeah. And like you say, it is that they are well drilled and they are they are set up in a specific way to get results. And, you know, that late goal that they scored in, in the quarterfinals. Such perfect execution. It was brilliant game plan. It was a brilliant game plan. And it could have backfired, you know. It could have been that somebody made a mistake that led to a goal or whatever else. But they all carried out their jobs. Chikwazi comes off the bench. Bang. They, they score the exact type of goal that they would have imagined they would have scored on the break. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, It just was one of those things that you've gone, oh, you've just executed everything you try and plan to perfection. And that's an amazing thing to... Yeah, the perfect time of the game. So maybe they can do it, but it's Liverpool. It's going to be hard. Anyway, at number three is Manchester City. Whoa. Man City. Um, doubts are creeping in about this team at the worst possible time. And but personally, if you listen to the Patreon, you'd have heard me say this. Um, I haven't been convinced about Man City for over a month now. I've felt that there is a lack of belief in the team and in the support that they are actually going to win all these things that were in front of them. I've got the feeling at times they didn't even believe they were going to win the game that was in front of them, never mind the competitions. The mental impact of losing to Liverpool in the FA Cup up at the weekend... It could seriously like affect the way that they look at this run-in. Yeah, the manner of the defeat as well, potentially. The manner of the defeat. Pep Guardiola, I'm sure, doesn't doubt himself very often. I'm sure still isn't doubting himself. No. But other people will be asking big questions about, again, overthinking, over-rotating. Did he really have to make those changes? Look, he kind of said he did. He said, like, I ask my medical staff what situation we're in. They advise me. And on the back of that, he makes decisions. And look, whether De Bruyne was injured and Gundogan was injured... I feel like De Bruyne was almost certainly injured. Same. There, was, there were definitely some... And to not feature at all. Yeah. Um, but ultimately, yeah, Guardiola is going on advice from others that know better about him, about the condition of his players. Yeah. And he has to believe that. And he has to believe that if he was to play certain players at this time, that they wouldn't get through the match. So he's having to now combat the I guess the creeping doubt that's coming into his players minds it's undoubtedly going to be there it has to be also be tiredness and injuries coming in now at a key stage of the season because of the scheduling now, this team do not have any Champions League pedigree they haven't won the competition um, they did get to the final last year they did and they I didn't win it I would suggest that's pedigree it's not pedigree because they, they do not have a history of winning this competition until they've done it you have to question their mentality because they can't do it they cannot get over the line um, the first leg of the semi-finals, they're playing Real Madrid. The first leg is at home. They have to hold a lead from that first leg if they're going to go to the Bernabeu and get anything. They have to. Um, I just don't see how they... Do you think that? Yeah, like, I do I, generally I think, think that. that's quite interesting yeah. because I just watched Chelsea go to the Bernabeu and look, they didn't win the tie, sure. But they... Exactly. They, they, they didn't finished, win it. They came back from a two-goal disadvantage at the Bernabeu and I think the, Chelsea, the City are a better team than Chelsea. So if Chelsea can do but it. But City aren't made up City? of the same stuff. City and Chelsea have very different attitudes when it comes to those sorts of games. And just because Chelsea could do it doesn't mean that Man City can because mm. Chelsea are very good at some things that Man City actually aren't that good at. Uh, look, Man City, in footballing terms, are probably the number one, right? In pure footballing terms. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you do not win the Champions League on pure footballing terms. In pure footballing terms, I've had, I'd be talking about Bayern Munich right now. We wouldn't be having this conversation. We would have PSG. They're not left in this competition. So it's valid that Man City are not nailed on to get to this Champions League final. And it leads me perfectly into number two. Yeah. Which is Real Madrid. So this effectively means you think that... Real Madrid are more likely to progress from this Champions League semi than you think Man City are, which based is just the natural point, right? Yes, and it's based on what we've seen recently because Real Madrid at this know what it takes at this stage of the season to get things done. And if we're going on the back of the past two performances where we've seen them dead against Chelsea, absolutely dead, like Chelsea at one point, I was like, they're going to win this, they're going to the Bernabeu, they're going to win four or five nil here. And then Madrid somehow... Make a couple of little tweaks. Ancelotti is the calmest guy in those situations. He's so cool and collected. And, you know, for everyone in the Bernabeu, thinking that game was gone, getting away from him, makes a couple of tweaks, takes off Tony Kroos, who's angry, brings in Camavinga, 
Rodrigo starts to make an effect. Well, Camavinga was the, the big one, wasn't he? That that ability off the bench and that energy that he provided and, you know, just the, the intellect, I think, to, to to sort of get the ball down the line for that, you know, the, the goal that eventually wins it. Yeah, absolutely. His, his kind of effect on this game cannot be understated. He was absolutely outrageously good. And they just took the wind out of Chelsea's sails. Like, it was incredible how quickly that game went from being like, one of the greatest nights in Chelsea's history and one of the biggest upsets we've seen in Champions League history to Real Madrid just being like, no, 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 that's not actually happening. So just just give us a few more minutes. We're just going to turn this around. And then they do it. Not only that, then at the weekend, they're fighting to clinch La Liga, I guess, at this point. There's a small chance that Barcelona can still catch them. They're playing against Sevilla away from home. They're 2-0 down at halftime. Yeah. They turn it around and win 3-2 in the second half. Those two second half performances, like I guess even the second half of the second half performance against Chelsea, but the entirety of that second half performance against Sevilla shows you what a mentality monster they are. And that so much of this game is in the head. And that's what Real Madrid are absolute masters at. And that's what Man City are not masters at. And that's why I think they get past Man City over two games to get through to them. Do I think that if you put out the best two 11s from those sides, that Real Madrid are the better team? Not quite, no. I think Man City probably are the better football team. But when you bring in Benzema, Vinicius and Modric to the fold and you start to see like how they manage those games... I've just got more trust in them to get over the line and make it into a Champions League final than I have in De Bruyne, in Raheem Sterling, in Bernardo Silva. Yeah, I mean, I can, I, can, I know where you're coming from. I know where you're coming from. I disagree with you, but I know where you're coming from. I do think that maybe a lot of this, and maybe not all of it, but a lot of this might have spelled or, or stunned from that City performance at the weekend, especially the first half, which was dreadful as far as I was concerned. How much of that is rotation and how much of that is changed players? I, I would I would still say that City at full strength beat Real Madrid over two legs. In fact, if I'm not mistaken, they have a pretty good record against Real Madrid in this competition. They do, but it doesn't matter. They're not playing they're not playing in the past. They're playing here and now. In fact, I was really impressed with City's performance against Atleti. And I actually think that maybe that's the kind of thing that maybe subjugates this a little bit because when you're looking at what they did there, where they were able to play at their own game a little bit, to go those little dirty tricks, to waste time, Phil Foden rolling back onto the pitch, the things that for some reason were, were seen as these kind of dark arts if Atleti do them and completely glossed over if City do them in some ways, I thought that was brilliant because, yeah. one, you're playing someone at your own game and, two, you're keeping heads while winding up an opposition that have been known to lose theirs. Yeah. And I thought for the first time watching that, I was like, City have really impressed me here because that is... Big game management that is not losing your head at a really critical time. They were properly under the cosh mm -hmm. and they held it together. They mm -hmm. provided some incredible defensive moments and they were able to, you know, utilize, you know, not only their ability in terms of ball playing and, and actually in terms of the game, mm. but also the ability to get in their opponent's head, get that needle going. No, they did, yeah. And I was, I, I genuinely thought that might be the moment that goes, oh, City might be able to win a Champions League here because yeah. they picked up some of these things that maybe would have people would have considered not part of the, the structure a couple of years ago. The thing is, Atletico Madrid aren't that good. They are 15 points behind Real Madrid in La Liga. Yeah. And Real Madrid, to get to this stage, have seen off PSG as well as Chelsea. Yeah. That, again, just shows who they are. Like They are built for this competition. They've I said won Villarreal it. have had the hardest run to the, to the semis. And, yeah, and Villarreal have had a very hard run <laughs> and to, fourth. to this, this stage. But they're Villarreal. This is Real Madrid. They've won it 13 times and they will believe, they all believe that they're going to win the competition this year. 100%. Okay. They, they will. Well, who do you believe is going to win the competition at number one then? Oh, well, no, I actually think Real Madrid will probably win it. But I think that... <laughs> Well, no, hang on. <laughs> My number one team to to win it has to be, it has to be Liverpool. At this point, um, they're chasing a quadruple. Not sure they'll make that because we've talked about this quite a few times in the past and nobody's ever actually managed to clinch that quadruple because it's such a hard thing to do. But Liverpool have had a very nice path and the reason part of the reason they're number one rank is because they are the most likely team to be playing in the Champions League final. So they're going to be playing against Villarreal. 
And the odds tell us they are probably going to beat Villarreal, especially over two games, to make it into the Champions League final to be playing at Stade de France in May. What do you make, in terms of like out of 100%, what are the chances of Liverpool being in the Champions League final? 85 Oh, wow. That's lower than I thought you were going to go. Yeah, I know. That's why I did it. I was going to say 95 and then I tamed it a bit because it's a bit <laughs> ridiculous to say you're 95% of the way to a final. When I've just said and I'm not going to disrespect Villarreal. Yeah, yeah. I've got to give them a small I thought chart. you'd go lower than that, but I'm glad you didn't. I've got to give ways. them a chance. Like It's hard not to completely write off Villarreal and like loads of people are going to do it again. And it's just hard not to. This is Liverpool, right? And um, it just feels like they're a bit invincible at the moment. And... When it gets to the final, I think that they'll beat Man City. There's something about these games, isn't there? Because, yeah. you know, I, I, I'm kind of discounting the FA Cup game in my head. Because I think I you can. I think you can forget I about that now. Don't like, really in terms think... of this, if this was another final, I think you could take away what from I mean, that. What I'm intrigued by is the fact that in the, in the game in the Premier League a couple of weeks back, yeah. Man City outplayed Liverpool for 90% of the game, as far as I'm concerned. Maybe that's a little bit harsh, but 80% of the game, let's say. Mm. I thought they were the better side. I thought they deserved to win. I thought they created more. I thought they were the, the side in the ascendancy. Um, and Liverpool just found a way. And yeah. and I, I think that's the thing with Liverpool at the moment. They feel like they find a way. And despite the fact that I, I, I probably have City pegged as a slightly better team in general, and, and that's probably why I think they will win the Premier League. And over the course of a season, I do I do think that the best team usually wins the league because yeah. over 38 games or, or 36 games or 34 games, I don't forget any, you know, how many games you play. I think on, in general, the team who is the most consistent over that period wins the league. And that is a better marker than like a knockout competition. Mm. But in this sense, I do con- completely understand why Liverpool would top your ranking. They would probably top mine as well. Because I think that while City are a, a best team over 38 games, it's a bit like Villarreal, isn't it? In some ways, when we go, go all the way back down to what we said at the very yeah. start. And the fact that Emery is just good at these moments. He's good at these exact, you know, periods of time. We were at the sharp end of a competition. He, he knows what he's doing here. And I think that there's an element of Liverpool in that they feel like they're comfortable in these situations. And whereas... I think both fan bases are relatively calm at the moment. Maybe a little bit less so on the City side yeah, in terms after are, after yeah. the weekend, maybe. But maybe before that, I thought relatively calm from both sides. Both sides were pretty comfortable with the fact that they were like, okay, we're doing okay here. And it just feels at the moment that Liverpool have that kind of quiet assurance about them that they are they're just comfortable knowing what's coming next and what they're going to achieve. And and I think that's an interesting thing when you come into a situation like this because not having that pressure on you, having that assurance that you're just be like, we're going to go out and do this again, I think is a massive, massive bonus. Yeah, and I think that that is part of it. I think that Liverpool don't feel pressure to win. I think Man City do feel pressure to win. I think there is more pressure on Man City to win. Well, they've never won. Because they haven't. Yeah. And that's the thing. And I think that Liverpool are kind of making the most of that situation. I think also, you think back, Liverpool were 14 behind behind Man City in January in the Premier League title race. Yes, they had a couple of games in hand, but they were 14 points behind them. And almost everyone said it was probably done. Yeah. Right? It felt done. Was it in the bag? It, well, I mean, I called it. <laughs> it was in the bag. City had the title in the bag. They are now one point ahead of them. It's still in their own hands. As we come into the home straight. Um, and they've got a decent run in, it's got to be said. Like Man City have got a decent run in from here to the end of the season. Um, look, we're recording this on on Tuesday and on, on Wednesday that they play Brighton in a game that is really key, obviously. And Brighton have had some good results recently, but it, their next two Premier League matches are at home against Brighton and Watford. And you imagine that gives them some momentum to regain again before they get to their Champions League fixture against Real Madrid also at home like we talked about but anyway going back to Liverpool um, they've won 17 of their last 21 games the only defeat along the way was that one against Inter Milan in the second leg of the Champions League I'm not really sure what to read into that to be honest with you well it didn't matter it didn't matter exactly so I don't know even if it counts I was reading an an interesting thing from a Liverpool fan Stephen Drennan on on Twitter the other day and he was saying I kind of hoped we'd lose the Benfica game by a goal because he was like, kind of logic tells you that you're going to have to lose a few games yeah. on the way. And he was like, we could have lost that one and it wouldn't have mattered. Um, he's like, you can, you know, you lose other games or you draw, you know, drop points in other games and it's all a bit uncomfortable because yeah. 
you know, you're losing points in the in a league or you're having to come from behind in a in a semi-final or any of the above. Those things aren't great, but you could have lost the Benfica game. He was like, just by like, sheer weight of numbers, something says we, ha- we have to lose a game at some point. Yeah, yeah. No. Um, so I thought that was an interesting take. Yeah, I can but see I, why I do get, take that as a fan, for sure. But I do get what... It's a bit like this with the Intergame. It was like, good one for them to lose because it didn't matter. Didn't matter. So, so there is and that. Thing, and you look back and the two games that City have lost, like basically since December, they lost that Tottenham game 3-2 and they've lost Cup semi-final against Liverpool. Like, they're two big defeats. That's two big defeats that they've had to take on the chin. Liverpool have not had to take a big defeat on the chin. So when one comes, let's see how they react to it. But ultimately, I think the Jurgen Klopp factor is key too. I think that as a motivator, as much as a coach, he's unbelievable. Yeah. I feel like every single person involved in that, I'm not saying that Pep doesn't have a similar effect. Of course he does. We've seen the documentaries. We've seen the way he talks to his team. It's contagious. But Jurgen Klopp, man, I just feel like it almost... I'm getting goosebumps just thinking about the way he probably talks to these players as they build up for a fixture like this. And I give him the edge. The only flaw, I think, in Liverpool recently is that in their past four games, City have scored two against them both times. And Benfica scored three and they scored one. So... I haven't really seen that. We haven't don't typically see over the course of four games Liverpool concede that many goals. Yeah. Um, obviously, as Average we're recording two this, goals a game. Yeah. They're playing Man United tonight, so like, I can't, I can't take Green that game into that, account. Yeah. I do not know what's happened there. Like, maybe this all sounds a little bit more weird on the back of whatever's happened there, but um, I'm gonna just imagine they win, as the form book would tell you. But when it comes to the Champions League, I think. They have the easiest path to the final and that they are the most likely winners of the Champions League this season. Yeah, uh, you know what? I'd agree with that. I'd have Real Madrid and Man City switched around in my ranking if this was me. Um, and I'd have City far closer to Liverpool than I think you have them. Um, but, I, but I don't They're disagree. Close. Obviously, they've, just, they've, just, they've drawn 2-2 and they've lost 3-2. I'm not saying there's, a, there's, there's not a world. It's a fine a, line between yeah, there's, them. There's a, play, there's a team in between them. That's a very yeah. fine line. But that is the. I, I just feel like one team is slowly moving up and the other one is just dropping off at such a crucial time in the season. That's where it looks like it's heading to move. Okay. All right. Well, there we have it. Dean's ranking in terms of the Champions League. After the break, we're going to be talking about the Europa League and the Europa Conference League. More rankings to come. So don't go anywhere. Welcome back to Ranks FC. We switched roles. Yeah. This is the kind of thing you get when it's a two-man show. When it's a two-man show, you have to do this at some point. Otherwise, it's going to be weird. And um, you're the one with all the information on this, so there's absolutely no sense in you hosting and then answering your own questions. So, um, yeah, new territory for Ranks FC. Well, mate, it's the Europa League. This is your bread and butter. You are the man in the know when it comes to Europa and Europa Conference League. I genuinely believe that nobody... Certainly in England, possibly in the whole of Europe, watches as much Europa League football as you. Yeah, it's plausible. So you seem like the perfect person to do a rundown of four to one of who's going to actually win the competition. Yeah, I like this. Also, the fact that the Conference League came in this year means I've just got to watch double the amount of Europa League. Yeah, fair. And also double the amount of Europa League anthems, which is actually <laughs> the main reason for watching any Europa League or Europa Conference League game. Um, probably worth paying respect to start off with, with each of these eight teams because reaching the semi-finals of a major European tournament is a feat in itself and not one to be sniffed at. I rank them in terms of who I think is most likely to win the whole thing. But, you know, unlike yours, I actually think that every single team of these can win these tournaments. Hang on, you don't think Villarreal can win the Champions League, though? I No, no, I would, I would agree with you. OK, but, good. But Just what I'm sure saying I is that I do to... think in these two tournaments okay, that fine. even the teams ranked fourth can have win. a percentage chance of winning the t- said tournament so I've actually I'm going to I'm going to give you the percentage chances so you can see my working is in- this official percentages that have been worked out by experts and analysts or no this is, is just you? this is just me okay, and, my, and my gut my okay. gut feeling on where they so they're are. all like they're they're rounded up numbers they're just like yeah, 25s but, and 75s and yeah, stuff. yeah, yeah. <laughs> right okay so, so this is the start of the Europa League shall we um, and I'm going to start up for with Rangers who I've got pegged 10% mm. chance of winning this tournament 1 in 10 um, it's worth pointing out that whoever won out of Rangers and Braga was going to be bottom of this list because <laughs> ahead of the quarterfinals, I had them pegged as the seventh and eighth best teams in the competition out of eight. I shouldn't minimize the achievement of actually getting to this point. And also the job that Giovanni Van Bronckhorst has done, you know, with this Rangers side in European competition, we've seen them fall off a little bit 
domestically in terms of the league. Um, but, you know, well, like we talked about Emery earlier, what we've seen here is Rangers really, really start to thrive in European competition. Uh, and look, Ryan Kent has been absolutely phenomenal. I was really impressed with the way that this Rangers attack has adopted to the loss of Alfredo Morelos as well. In the first leg against Braga, they looked so lost without him. There was no cohesion. The way that the attack, you know, the attack couldn't function without the Colombian felt like the kind of thing that could take a while to sort out. But by the time the second leg came around, Rangers had adapted to the fact that Kamal Roof was in that role. It's a very different style. And his two goals were hard-earned and well-justified, to be perfectly honest with you. You know, they then went off to prove that worth against the Celtic side, who looked set to regain the Scottish title from them by beating them over 120 minutes in the Scottish Cup final. So they played up two 120-minute games in a space of three, four days. Um, and they do feel like they have a bit of that big game pedigree at the moment. Ibrox will be right behind them, roaring this side on, as they did against Borussia Dortmund, against Carvena Zvezda, and against Braga. But the reason that I have them fourth here is that at this point, they're coming up against three sides that are just better than them. This is European competition, and the fact that the second leg is at Ibrox is a huge bonus. If this was the other way around, I would have probably halved their chances, um, which is massive, right? Mm-hmm. That's, a, that's a huge jump. The, the problem is partly that they come up against a side who seem unaffected by emotion, right? It's, yeah. it's RB Leipzig who have equally gone up against the yellow wall of Dortmund, 1-4-1. They've come up against fervent, hostile atmospheres week in, week out in the Bundesliga and they're still ticking along nicely. This is, you know, Leipzig. They are famously despised by pretty much every other set of German fans yeah. and yet they have to deal with that hostility on a weekly basis and, and here they are just ticking along in a Champions League place in the Bundesliga, I don't think they're going to be as affected by this atmosphere as other teams might have been who are probably slightly more emotional than Leipzig yeah. are. Um, so that's why I have Rangers in here. Look, that, you know, there's also this element of you get through this, you you know, the first leg at Leipzig, if they're, they're in touching distance, then it's plausible. Um, yeah. And I think that you can see this. The first leg against Braga, they were absolutely outplayed. They should have been more than one nil down. Within two minutes of the second leg, they were one all. It was level mm-hmm. and the whole game started again. Now, Rangers lost control of it a little bit. After going 2-1 up, they got pegged back by a 10-man Braga. And it took a second red card and a, and a goal in injury time to, to kind of see them off. So there is that in that you have to look at that and think Leipzig are a much better side than Braga. And therefore, the chance of getting through this semi-final is even quite slim. Um, but if they were to do that, then I don't think you can you can rule this out. Of them going and being like, right, we're here now, we're at a final, and we've seen them in a half-half atmosphere at Hampden Park at the weekend go and thrive in that as well. So, can't rule them out completely, but bottom of the list for me. Yeah, probably bottom of the list for me too, but I didn't think they would beat Dortmund. And they did. And they did, and Dortmund are second in Bundesliga, Leipzig are third, and Dortmund are nine points better off this season. Uh So... That suggests the fact, especially they've beaten 4-2 away from home, an unbelievable result in the first leg. That suggests they do have a chance. Um, Leipzig have turned a corner recently, though, haven't they? Like, this is a different team to... Like, Leipzig have grown as the season's... Well, as the year's gone on, I guess, the calendar year. Yeah, and, and we'll come on to Leipzig. Yeah, um, but... Um, they are, but that's the part of the reason that Rangers are here. And, and actually, in 3-2... and two, I have the other semi-final on both teams yeah. because I feel the other semi-final is absolutely on a knife edge. Yeah. Um, and so I, I've, I've tossed and turned these two over the whole way through. I'm going to put West Ham in at three. Oh, that's wrong. I, 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 <laughs> that's wrong. So I've just, I've, for the exact reason that I've just said, Rangers, the fact that the home leg is, you know, the first leg is at home for West Ham and the second leg is at Frankfurt. I think that plays against them. Um, and I just think that Frankfurt have had a slightly harder run. Frankfurt have beaten Betis and Barcelona, and then West Ham have beaten Sevilla and Leon. It's so tight here, right? This is—I <laughs> I had both of these teams at twenty-five percent, yeah. but that's not how rankings work, right? So no. you can't really have it. Um, so I have tossed and turned between these two all mornings, flipping them over, um, and I just think it makes it slightly—it's really hard to separate them. This West Ham team is brilliant, right? And I love them. And I love watching them. And I think they're exceptional. And I think they're great fun. There's just something about this game. And, and, you know, sometimes you go, well, in the last two rounds, at least, before the games had kicked off, I've been like, look, Sevilla have serious pedigree in this competition. And then I go, okay, Leon have real pedigree at the sharp end of European competitions. 
and West Ham have knocked them both out, right? And and therefore, there's that kind of element of going, you know, the second leg against Leon in particular, without Cresswell, being able to step up and, and, and kind of make that fight, make it work, with, with these kind of players missing that left-hand side of defence completely at odds, and to go and win in the manner that they did was absolutely unbelievable. And I have full, you know, faith in this West Ham side and full credit to them as well. The, the problem is that there's almost nothing between these sides in my head if they're both on full form. And, you know, I'll, I'll flip it to Frankfurt. You know, they've just beaten the favourites. They've just literally knocked out the team who everybody had pegged as the kind of shoe-in favourite to win this competition. And they've done it in a manner which was just incredibly cohesive, coherent. The, the way that they did it was so convincing. You know, this game ended 3-2. But it wasn't a 3-2. Mm. There's nothing about this game that was a 3-2. Frankfurt battered them. And every time they went forward and every time things went into the Barcelona half, Frankfurt looked like they were going to score. And they did this against Betis as well. And they didn't take advantage of it quite enough. But in the first leg against Barcelona, obviously it ended one all. Frankfurt missed three or four golden opportunities. They ended the game with 10 men. They still didn't really look like they were going to seed another. And then they go to Barcelona. Not only do you see the Frankfurt fans invade the city and kind of play this unbelievable role in celebrating their team going one up. But they take advantage of all Barcelona's faults. And I think the Barcelona are a better team than West Ham. Like, ultimately, I, I do believe that. And if Frankfurt can go to the new Camp and do what that, why can't they go to the London Stadium and do the same? I, I can't see a reason that that wouldn't happen. And I think that having the second leg, therefore, in Frankfurt at the Europa... I think it's just absolutely amazing. And we've seen the displays. We've seen what that ground can do. And, and I'm not taking anything away from the London Stadium. I just genuinely believe that if this was the other way around, I would have these teams the other way around. Mm. If their second leg was in London, I would have West Ham at two. Mm. That's how tight I think this semi-final is. I think it's absolutely on a knife edge. And ultimately, you know, either of these teams could go through and I wouldn't be surprised a jot. This is the semi-final to watch in so many ways, right? Because it's the one that feels like two teams that are you know, really evenly matched. Frankfurt have had such an up and down season. They're tenth in the Bundesliga. They're tenth in the Bundesliga. They, you know, came off the back of that ridiculous win over Barcelona, the highs of all that, and they lost to two 0 this weekend to an admittedly excellent, but still they went away to Union Berlin, who are a couple of places higher than them in the division, and they lost two 0 and they lost two 0 quite comfortably as well. And and I think this is kind of the really weird thing that they were brutally inconsistent, and they have been all year, but. It feels a bit like this is what they've got left to play for. And I know it's the same for West Ham. But I think the West Ham still have a sniff of getting back into Europe via a, a place in the table. In fact, I think they've got more than a sniff. I think they will finish in the top seven. I don't think Frankfurt will. And I wonder if, therefore, they just have slightly more desire to get this over the line. And, and that sounds, it sounds disparaging to West Ham. And I don't think it's, it's meant to be. It's just that kind of question of... You know, with this going back to the second leg and going back to Frankfurt and seeing the displays and the fire and all of what's happened over the course of this, plus the fact that they've been in a European semi-final recently um, and they have those kind of memories to try and dispel. I've got, look, I've got my stamp at 24.9%, Frankfurt at 25.1%. Oh my like, goodness. That's where I'm at, right? Oh there's, there's nothing between these sides. That's that's all I've got in terms of you know why why I've gone one over the other, but I'd imagine you'd have gone the other way. I would have gone the other way. Yeah, um, West Ham are one of the best teams in the Premier League, and Frankfurt a mid-table in the Bundesliga. Mm -hmm. and that has a large saying on it. I also am just amazed by Declan Rice's levels this season, and I think that like he's going to be the best player on the pitch. So there's a new twist, and that is that Issa Diop has suffered an injury. If it's a bad one that keeps him out, like it, as we record this, it sounds like it could keep him out for a while. It'll basically mean they've only got one centre-back left, and it's Craig Dawson. And he's had his nose broken twice in the last month. Yeah, he does keep scoring very important goals. So fair like Craig Dawson, Ballon Dawson, whatever you want to call him these days, is the rock at the centre of that team. But they're going to, if Issa Diop is not around, that is a massive, massive problem for West Ham because they have nobody left to step in. I mean, They've got a couple of kids that could step up, uh, like Baptiste and people. But they've got, they could play a back three. Cresswell could play there and Johnson or Sheffield. I mean, it would match the shape, right? That's the only other thing. It would match the shape. Look, what Frankfurt did beautifully against Barcelona was they were just like, have the ball. We don't want it. Yeah. And then every time they hit, that counter punch worked and it worked again. And I said before the second leg of the semi-final, 
they'll be happy to let Barcelona have it because they know that on the counter they can cause this team problems. And I just think similarly about what they could do to West Ham. That shape and the ability of this team to duck in and that back three and the two in front of them to just tuck. And then you've got this kind of guile of Daichi Kamada, the kind of 100% engine of, of Jesper Lindstrom, the wing-backs. Ansgar Nauf was absolutely outrageously good in both legs against Barcelona. On the other side, Filip Kostic, we know what the calibre he has. And Rafael Santos Borre, who I don't think is particularly good, mm. had an amazing game. Um, and, and, and therefore, you're looking at the seat going, can they just cause the same problems to West Ham? And look, the West Ham crowd will want to rule them on because they're first leg. They want to get them, get at them, right? And I just think that might play into Frankfurt's hands. Mm. I think it might play into their hands. Anyway, anyway, at number one, you've got a team that drew nil-nil with Eintracht Frankfurt about three weeks ago. Yeah, I do, yeah. Um, I have RB Leipzig at 40%. Um, let me just read you RB Leipzig's record in 2022 under Dominika Tedesco. Played 19, won 14, drawn 4, lost 1. Goals for 49, goals against 13. The one loss was to Bayern Munich in a 3-2 loss in a game they threw away, like actively threw away by just giving away some very odd mistakes and, and you know, handing the ball on a plate to Bayern for them to get the job done. Tedesco is doing an outrageous job. And interestingly, some of the best results this patch have come away from home. And I talked about this a little bit in the Rangers bit, about the fact that Leipzig are a bit unemotional. They go to places where there's a lot of things going on and they just win, right? They've gone to Atalanta where the crowd were fervent, where they were mad, and they won 2-0 in the second leg of this one after the first leg was equally balanced. They went to Real Sociedad. They went to Anoeta. They won 3-1. They went to Dortmund in front of the yellow wall, the first game back in front of a full yellow wall, 4-1-1. Mm. Like, this is a team who aren't affected by these atmospheres. They just go, right... And then they have Christopher Nkunku, who is yes. the best player left in this competition by some distance. And I do well, think... Declan Rice might have something to say. I don't do okay, oh, actually, you know what? Fair They're enough. Probably the Fair ones, enough, yeah. but he, I, I still, I still think Nkunku too. is the best player left in this no, competition. No, I think it's the best, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that if he goes and wins this competition, he's going to be in the Ballon d'Or conversation. Not enough to win it, but I think he's going to be talking maybe about a podium if he goes and leads Leipzig to this competition win. Um, with the individual season that he's had. I just have them as this kind of unflappable team who seem to get through these occasions. They've had such a difficult run here. If you you know, the, you know look at the way that it's all planned out and, and the way that the teams that they've played, yes, they got a bye against Spartak Moscow. But they went to Real Sociedad. They beat Real Sociedad. They've beaten Atalanta. Now they have Rangers. I think they have... They look at that semi-final matchup and think, yeah, that's probably the one I'd have wanted. Mm. Um, and, and then if they get to the final, they're going to have to play, you know, a Frankfurt side who I think they're better than. Yes, they drew nil-nil with them recently, but I think in a one-off game, they're better than. And West Ham, where it would be trickier, I think that's probably the trickiest matchup on paper for Leipzig. But equally, I, I think what we've seen is that they ultimately have just got the better of teams by, by wearing them down. As we saw that at the weekend, they played Leverkusen and... They had to just deal with the kind of threat that they offered on the, you know, they're the home side, but on the break, Diaby, that pace and the fact that this is a team who you know, have scored so many this season, who are above them in the league. And then you come back to it and what do they do? They bring Sobersley on and he scores a 77th minute winner. And it just felt so inevitable about the way that Leipzig play. And I feel like that now with Barcelona out of the competition, I feel like that about Leipzig. I feel like that it's, it's, it's inevitable in some ways. It, well, it's not inevitable. I've given them a 40% chance of winning. But, no, but it, it feels like they are the side that need to be beaten in order to for anyone else well, to they're win. The best team they're left. the best team left in the competition. Are they the only ones left that were in the Champions League? The only team left in the competition that, that were in the Champions League, as you say. But when you when you look at that, actually, that's, that's a massive disadvantage. Because usually, yeah, yeah, usually. This competition, famously, I think of the last decade, seven seven times of the last, in the last 10 years, it has been won by a team who have not dropped down. That said, the teams who have dropped down, Atleti, Sevilla and Chelsea, are teams who give this competition due respect, yeah. um, who have all won it before, who have all you know been in this tournament and know that it means something quite special. It's often the teams that drop down and don't give it true credit that, yeah. do, that do badly. I think Leipzig are giving the Europa League, you're seeing full strength Leipzig lineups. You know, you're seeing them rotate, sure, at the at the weekends with the Bundesliga, but you're seeing full strength Leipzig lineups in the Europa League, and I think that means a lot. That's a very different attitude to a lot of teams who drop down. Also, they're looking for silverware, right? This is a team relatively new on the block. Yeah. Obviously, they have changed names and changed things, and everything is a little bit different. But under this current moniker, yeah, we've never really seen Leipzig no. win 
anything. And and ultimately, this would be silverware that they could go, we are now a serious force in Europe. And, and I think that's important for them as well. Yeah. So Also helps by, you know, Tedesco wasn't the manager. Jesse Mars was the manager in the first half of the season. Yeah. It went terribly, uh, by and large. And then Tedesco came in in mid-December. And so for him, being in the Europa League is just like being in the competition from the start because he's seen nothing else since he's been there. And yep. so they've kind of started fresh in that sense too. So I agree, Leipzig are the overwhelming favourites for me to win that competition. Okay, so that's the Europa League all sorted out. Um, RB Leipzig are going to win that. <laughs> <laughs> We've got one change in our lineups. then. Yeah. I had one change from you in the Champions League. You had one change from in the Europa League. Yeah, I'd have Let's had see West... how we get in the Conference League. Yeah, I'd have had West Ham too. But um, yeah, so on to... The biggest competition in world football, the Europa Conference League. We will have our first ever winners of the tournament um, emerge very soon. Where's the final being played again? Toronto in Albania. Albania. Where else? Where Where else? else? (laughs) Where else would you play it? Um, The semi-final lineups is Leicester City versus AS Roma and Feyenoord versus Marseille. So... Make fun of this competition as much as you want, um, and well, many, many people did. Yeah. But that is a strong semi-final lineup, and what should be two brilliant games. Yeah. Also, like teams with real pedigree yeah. in Europe. So Marseille, obviously Champions League winners in yep. the nineties. I think Feyenoord and Feyenoord have won the European Cup in their past. In fact, I think this Feyenoord are the only team left who can complete the set. Oh, is that right? Because then they'd win everything. Because as soon as you add something new in, you can't. And no one's ever completed the set again. So no. if they win this, they'd complete the set. Them and Jose um, Mourinho. Leicester City, in terms of, you know, obviously recent pedigree, winning the Premier League, and, and Roma are a storied European team. It's an amazing lineup to look yeah. at and think, wow, this is the first year of a competition. Way to make it feel really cool. And also, like, storied European teams, which is wicked, right? Like, I love the fact that these are teams taking it seriously and that there's lots going on here. Um, I'm going to... Oh, actually, it was worth pointing out that Rory Smith wrote an article um, just after the, the semi-finals were announced and he said, the best tournament in Europe is the one you're not watching. And it was about, about That's the That's so Rory, league. though. That's it's so very Rory, Rory Smith. But like, ultimately, I think that you look at this and think, yeah, you know what? This has been so exciting. The whole competition since the knockout stages began has been enthralling. We've had some of the best games I've watched in Europe this season. And I think there is a little bit of this, which is teams feel a bit more like they can let loose. Because if they go out of the Conference League in the last 16 or the quarterfinals, it's not the end of the world. I think you get to the semi-final stages and people start being like, this is silverware. We really start need to start taking this completely seriously. You're yeah. seeing first, you know, full strength 11s and you're seeing some some really big teams as well. Um, I'm going to start at four with Feyenoord, who I put about 15% chance uh, of winning this. It's really interesting, this, because... Final are a very good side and their attacking capabilities are exceptional, right? They're, this is a side that has scored so many goals, has scored so many goals in this competition already this season. Uh, and I think, you know, you look at the the front three that started in the last game, Luis Sinistera, Cyril Dessers and Reese Nelson. You know, that is a, a very, very solid front three that would, I would say probably a lot of those three players would get into a lot of mid to lower Premier League teams um, this is a, a good side uh, in fact I think all three of those players would start for Leicester um, yeah, they're, they're very very good footballers um, you add to that the fact that you know Orkan Kokchu is there in the middle pulling the strings um, this is a, a really really good side the problem I have with it is that they can't defend um, now while they're scoring absolute shed loads of goals in the tournament um, they've also conceded an absolute shed load as well they scored four they conceded four across the quarterfinals in two legs to Stavia they conceded three to Partizan in the last 16 across two legs um, they conceded in the group to almost everybody they only had one clean sheet and that was against Maccabi Haifa they're third in the Eredivisie um, and we've seen them lag a little bit behind PSV and Ajax who you know, were you are one and two in the table. PSV obviously knocked out by Leicester in the last round. And I think the PSV are a better side than Feyenoord right now, uh, which means that I cannot have Feyenoord <laughs> above Leicester. Um, and, and therefore, with the rankings, they fall a bit short. Um, it's a really, really intriguing tie with Marseille as well, because the way that, you know, you're looking at this, they have the home leg first at the Kuyp. Um, that's going to be a, an absolute cauldron. Um, but then they have to go to Marseille, which, and the Velodrome will be a cauldron in itself. And mm. what I was really impressed with, actually, with, with Feyenoord, was that they went to Slavia Prague. And it's a, not a nice place to go, the Sonobo. It's a really, really tricky place to go and win. Yeah. Um, and 
they saw it off relatively comfortably. Cyril Dessa's, you know, scoring very early on. They were pegged back and then they, you know, got the job done amid sort of fire and smoke and, and all of the things you expect when you travel. And, and and it was it was a really intimidating place to go. And they kind of saw it off without exemption. The problem with that was that at home in that first leg, you're like, why did, were you not, why did you not play mm. like this? And they let Slavia kind of get at them. And I do worry that if they don't go to the velodrome with a lead, Marseille will beat them because they are just a better side. Yeah. Um, and, and, and that's why I have Feyenoord pinned in here at fourth. Um, but I don't think there's... I think this is probably the closest competition between the four. I think this is where the, the top and bottom are fur, uh, you know, are closest to each okay, other. If, yeah. if the difference between Liverpool and Villarreal in the, in, in the Champions League is massive, mm. I think the difference between Feyenoord and who I have at first is far smaller in this competition. And yeah, I think this enough. is the best co- the best chance of all four teams winning it, if, if you know what I mean, yeah, in, in that yeah. kind of sense. Um, and with that, I'm going to move to three, where I have Marseille just... Just um, and if I say to you that I've got them at twenty four point nine percent, you know what's coming next. Um, look, this yeah. Marseille side are very good, and I really, really enjoy watching them play. Um, they obviously lost at the weekend to PSG two one. Uh, they did not deserve to lose that game whatsoever, um, and they were denied an equaliser in the eighty sixth minute or something um, by a very harsh, very harsh VAR call. Um, this is a side who are second in League R, who have established themselves, you know, back in the top end of this table. Who I've been really impressed with across the course of this season under George Sampaoli, and I think what what they've done here with with, with this team and and what he's what he's managed to achieve. Considering where this kind of started, it is really impressive. Look, there's players in here who lots of people will know. Matteo Genduzzi, Dimitri Payet, Cengiz Under, William Saliba. There's lots of people here that you're going, okay, how does this all work? How does it all pan out? And I think maybe the really interesting part about this is that Sam Pauli, who is a known hothead, has managed to take a load of hotheads and cool them down for the most part. And there has been so many headlines about Marseille this year, about um, fans invading the pitch, about people throwing bottles, about all of these things. And actually, I think it's been quite unfair on Marseille in many ways because it hasn't been the Marseille fans kicking things off. It hasn't been the Marseille players. It's like people see that they've got Marseille on a game and they go, right, that's the one we're going to lose the plot. Like, that's a game where we can lose the plot because they'll lose the plot. And actually, they're going, hang on, this yeah. is just so not our fault. Yeah, yeah. Um, so he's seen quite an interesting thing. Look, Bubakar Kamara is the kind of rock in the middle of this midfield. And if Genduzi is Sam Pauli's on-field coach, Kamara is his general. Um, I know that Juventus are interested in him. I know that the links they, with, yeah. with Manchester United. He has been absolutely sensational. And he is, in some ways, the rock that holds us all together. The problem I have with putting Marseille higher than this, and I do weirdly think they will be in the final, is that we've seen Marseille in a European final before and we've seen them collapse against Atleti a couple of years back in yep. the Europa League final. Um, and I just wonder if there's an element of this team that still bears the hallmarks of the teams we've seen before him. Like, you know, like I say, they feel calmer. We've seen Genduzi not be as rash this season, but it does still feel like there's those moments where emotion can get the better of some of these players. And and I think that in a situation like this, where if you get there to a final and everyone's like, oh, it could be Marseille's first trophy and, you know, in European football mm. in, what, two decades, mm. everyone's going, oh, it just all feels a lot. And, Considering we've seen fireworks off the pitch, we saw the Ultras have running battles with the streets in, with Pauk. Um, it, it just all feels like a lot for Marseille. Yeah. And that's the only reason that I have Leicester ahead of them. And, and, and the reason, you know, look, if this was a year ago and these four teams were here and Mar- this was the Marseille of a year ago, I'd have them lower. I, in fact, I, I maybe would say they might not even get through this semi-final. Okay. Um, but I think that cooling down period has done them a world of good. They feel like a far stronger force. Um, but what we've seen from Leicester City of late has tipped the balance for me in in their favour slightly. So I think that Leicester have the harder task in their semi-final, obviously. Um, But, you know, I have Leicester at 25.1. If Leicester get through to the final, if they do manage to overturn Roma... I think they're favourites, which is a bit of a strange thing to say, I suppose, in some ways, because normally you go, if one team is more likely to be in the final than the other, and I think Marseille are far likelier to be in the final than Leicester, 
then you'd naturally have them above them. But I do think if Leicester are there, they become favourites automatically. Oh, yeah, yeah. What we saw in that game against PSV was Leicester, not only with cool heads in, you know, in, in a fire environment, it really did start to go against them. And Leicester just kept plugging, kept plugging, kept work, you know, working things out and ultimately got the rewards that they deserved. And, you know, since we've seen the return of... Wesley Fofana and, and that kind of partnership with Johnny Evans being struck up again in, in this defence. We've seen some rotations in the Premier League, Daniel Amate obviously going in there and uh, Kaglas Soyuncu as well, like coming back into this team. When we saw those people playing earlier in the season, Soyuncu, Amate, right, it was panic stations all over the place. Since Fofana's come back in and been like, I'm the first choice centre-back, you, you can rotate with me. Mm-hmm. It's almost like his presence alone has calmed everybody down. Yep. And I think that's amazing and w- what it can do for a side. The only problem I have is that in the last leg, obviously we saw Wilfred and Didi wasn't able to play because he's injured and might be out for the rest of the season. Mm-hmm. In the Europa Conference League, Leicester haven't registered Nampolis Mendy, who has been the kind of natural replacement. Oh, okay. And so what happened in the game against PSV was that Yuri Tielemont paid in the deepest role in midfield. Now, that's fine unless you have a team that can absolutely overrun you. And I worry that that team is Roma. Right. Um, and, and I think this is kind of part of the part of the kind of conundrum here for Brendan Rodgers is how on earth do you try and stop Roma at the moment without a defensive midfielder um, and without anyone that can play in that role? And, and it does make life a little bit tricky, I think, um, for Leicester. That said, if they can beat Roma, I think they can beat anyone. So that that's my big takeaway for Leicester. I think that of late, you know, if we were talking about this even a couple of weeks ago, Leicester probably bottomed this disc because yeah. they were so inconsistent. We saw nothing of them that convinced. But since Fafana has come back, the improvement in performances and the kind of improvement in calmness and, and just almost mindfulness in the whole team appears to be massive. He was man of the match, I think, in that second leg against PSV. Um, he, he kind of calmed all the traffic. And, and with him and his team, I think that Leicester are capable of beating anyone. I just do worry that that lack of a defensive midfielder may well come to haunt them in this game against Roma, which takes us to Roma, who I have pegged as number one. It feels like we talk about Roma every week in this pod now. Um, But that's because at the moment they are absolutely exceptional. 12 unbeaten in Serie A. Um, And I think, you know, we we look at this game last night uh, against Napoli. They're 1-0 down to a title contender in their home stadium. They've had their reserve goalkeeper sent off Roma for losing the plot on the bench. And they find a way in the 91st minute. Tammy Abraham sets up Stefan Al-Sharawi, who hasn't featured all that much this season, right? He's been a bit part player. He comes off the bench and makes the difference. And I think Mourinho has this AS Roma side absolutely believing in themselves. The system is finally working in a way that we haven't seen it do in the the first half of this season. They are 12 unbeaten. Um, And I think maybe the biggest kind of showpiece of this was the last round against Birdo Glimt. And, you know, when we when we look at what happened in that round, we look at the, the, the kind of second leg of this where they win 4-0, Zaniolo gets a hat-trick. Birdo Glimt are 2-1 up from the first leg. They have already beaten Roma 6-1 in the group stages. They've drawn two all with them at home, in the Olympico. And... Suddenly, Roma have this task on their hands. There is fighting between the coaches. There's the Berto Glimp coach accusing Mourinho of disrespect. There is all of this noise surrounding the game. Five minutes in, Tammy Abraham scores. Mm -hmm. And then suddenly, Zaniolo goes on the rampage. And for the first time in a while, we saw Nicolo Zaniolo unleashed. And it was amazing to watch. And you can kind of look at how they set up for this game where Pellegrini dropped a little bit deeper into the midfield and they played a front three of Zaniolo, Abraham and Mkhitaryan. And and suddenly you're like, okay, that's not even a particularly well-balanced Roma side. That is a side set out to attack. It's a very non-Mourinho side in, in kind of modern parlance if you will like yeah. it feels like something he was set out you go wow i haven't seen Mourinho do that for a while yeah. um and they tore through better glimpse at will it was like a whirlwind and you know i think interestingly with this competition how much of it is how much do fans care because you know as we said and you know as, as lots of people will point out at the beginning a lot of people were just like i don't know what's going on i'm not quite sure what's happening stadiums weren't full the olympico was packed for this Birdo Glimp game. Oh, no. It was a sellout, 
right? We've seen Leicester sell out the King Power. The Kype has been packed for the last three times the Feyenoord have played in this competition. We're, we're looking at teams here who genuinely are taking this seriously. The Velodrome won't sell out, but it very rarely does. So, yeah. you know, it will still be a very, very full Velodrome making a hell of a noise. Um, and I think when you put all of that together... The advantages that that gives, and especially at the Olympico, look, I was lucky enough a couple of weeks ago to see them beat that's in the derby there. And the atmosphere was absolutely electric. And you see that in a, in a game of this magnitude in a European semi-final. I think that gives Roma the edge. And I think that it will give them the edge over Leicester and anybody else they play. Um, and I'm absolutely intrigued to see how this one plays out. But Roma are my favourites. Yeah, it's funny. I saw a headline in Gazetta and... Um... It was literally like hours after they'd made it through and it said uh, Leicester fever online ticket office clogged immediately after final whistle. Like you say, like they'll take anything like this is this is the pathway back to great things for them. Like this is it's my it's look, a breakthrough it's, it's moment. Mourinho wants to complete the set. Fine. Yeah, he's never done but- it. He also wants to go into a first year at a club. And look, we've had this conversation maybe before, but you know when he had that year at Man United where he won the Europa League, he won the League Cup, and he won the Community Shield, yeah. and he was given the old treble stuff. Mourinho isn't too fussed about what other people think of your tournaments. No. He cares about bringing silverware in and, and being like, look what I won for the club. Yeah. And he will want to look at the end of this first year with Roma and be like, yes, I took them on an excellent run in Serie A. Yes, we've improved and yes, we've got a little shot at, at maybe getting into the Champions League via the league. But ultimately, he wants to be there going, look at the trophy I won. Look yeah. at the shiny trophy I won for this club. And and I think at the moment, it feels like the Roma players want that as well. But look, obviously, they want to have silverware hanging around their necks. Yeah. Like That's part of any player's career. And when you get to the semi-final of a tournament, you get that kind of fever of being like, whoa, we're nearly there. Like, yeah. It doesn't matter what it is. And also, like he takes it even further, Mourinho. I mean, he said... Um, they're the only Italian team left in Europe. So he said, we are flying the flag for Italy. We are taking the flag of Italy into Europe. And we are pre- representing all of us. Like, he always wants to do that, doesn't he? He always wants to be like, everyone should want me to win right now. These are the reasons why um, they are the favourites to win it. I think it's pretty clear. Also, it's quite interesting, like, the in- the difference in attitude towards competitions. Obviously, like, England is historically takes about 10 years to take... Leicester have adopted this and I've got to give full... Well, they have. The fa- once they figured out what it was, you know, it was a few months ago, Brendan, Brendan Rodgers was like, he didn't know what it was. I don't know what this competition is. Uh, I don't know what it is. I'll just now, his only route back to... And now he was literally season. saying like, our only focus is, is Europe, is Europe. What did he say? Yeah, clearly we would like to focus on reaching a European final. Well, you didn't know what that European final was or where <laughs> it was about three weeks ago, mate. Well... Um, but yeah, Leicester as a... Fan base seem to be like, yeah, let's do this. Like, why not? And I think, like... I, mean, I was thinking, we're on our way to Albania, we're on our way. <laughs> Unbelievable vibes. I'm having a great time watching well, the King's Of course I'm having a great time. Like, it's a trip I out. was having like, a great time. It's it's a, it's just fun. Like, football's supposed to be fun. And that's why these cup competitions should be taken seriously. And experiencing yeah. new things, right? And this is a brand new thing that no one's ever done before. Do you want to be the inaugural winners of a tournament? Yeah, of course why you do. Not? Why not? I remember when Fulham won the Intertoto. It was fun. It was only, I was only in West London at the time. I was at Loftus Road, one of my worst players in the world at the time. But it was fun. <laughs> it was fun. We had a good we won time. won the Intertoto Cup, and I'll never forget it. So to win the um, Europa Conference League will be fun for whoever does it. And you're telling me it's AS Roma. So I believe you. Down and dusted. Yeah. <laughs> That's exactly how we phrased it. There you go. Absolutely. Um, well, right. we've sussed it. So we've got Liverpool, RB Leipzig and AS Roma as the champions of Europe for this season. Very exciting. Very, Very exciting. Good. good. Good hours work that. But indeed. Right. After the break, we've got Melon and the gibberish rankings. Stick with us. <laughs> Welcome back to the third and final part of this week's Ranks FC. And it's time for everybody's favourite part of the week. Dean Jones, floor's yours. It's time for Melon of the Week. This week's Melon of the Week is Douglas Burrell. Right. Do you know who that is? No. No, nor did I. Um, We've got a message from one of our listeners. His name is Digo Barbosa. Thank you for getting in touch with me, mate. He said, Dean, I've got a suggestion for Melon of the Week. It comes from my own team over here. Um, He is a 20-year-old right-back that plays for Bahia, a big Brazilian team that unfortunately find itself in the second division this year. But hey, maybe not for long because Man City's City Group is interested in buying us. (laughs) He's got his fingers crossed He said, anyway, two minutes into an away game against Nautico, 
Burrell gets a yellow card after inexplicably fouling on the offensive end. Silly mistake, especially that early in the game, but it happens. Ten minutes later, he finds himself on the end of a Bahia counter-attack and blasts the ball into the net. It was his first goal as a professional footballer. And that makes sense because he then celebrates by taking off his shirt. Hang on, shirt. we can't just have these. <laughs> well, we're doing it this week because it's another example. During a celebration, his teammate, Daniel, gets annoyed and shoves him very hard and is visibly not happy at the way he is celebrating this goal since he obviously remembers that he's just got a yellow card earlier on. So he tries to suddenly avoid getting the card by not actually taking the arms out of his shirt and just leaving it where it was. But then he realised it was not going to work. There was no way out of this. He understandably then gets the second yellow card and has to exit the field. It was classic melanish behaviour, if you ask me. And to make matters worse, Daniel, the bloke who tried to warn him of his mid-celebration, ends up being the one who was subbed off because of his red card and ended up bringing on another player in his place. <laughs> Daniel must be absolutely livid. Yeah. So the good news is we ended up winning 1-0, so it was all fine in the end. Oh, there we have it. Right, I think I'm going to have to put a veto on you just putting people as melons who just taking it's only the second shirt. one. Yeah, but it's the second one in a row. Yeah, I know, it's a theme. <laughs> it, he's, he's jumped onto it. He's obviously si- been watching the game and he was like, Digo was melon. like, yeah, love this. Dean's going to love this. And I absolutely did. Okay, all right. Well, there we are. Another Melon of the Week. <laughs> that is the gibberish alarm, which means that it's time for this week's gibberish rankings. And it's over to you, mate. Yeah, this week I'm just going to rank some things that I can't do and just not very good at. And... Um, <laughs> I told Taylor about it, and so she's helped me out a bit. And I said, I don't want to know where this is going. <laughs> it's a PG show, man. <laughs> I said, just tell me some things that I'm not very good at. And she said, okay. Listening. Um, anyway, the first thing that is annoying that I can't do is drive in America. I just can't get my head around it. No need. In my eyes, there's no need because Taylor can do it. Right. So why would I need to drive in you America? Drive like, outside the road. Yeah, I've tried it, and I can't really get my can head you do it around in Europe? it. No, I've never tried it in Europe. There's been no need again. Like, I just get taxis. But in America, there is more of a need because we usually have a car. I did try it like 12 years ago when I went with my mate. The trip I probably met Taylor on, actually. And there's there was a space. We hired a Mustang. Of course we did. And drove around. He drove around. <laughs> At one point, he was like, mate, we're supposed to share the drive. And I was like, yeah, I don't want to drive. There was a parking space. Mate, it was about four foot wide. And I was like, can't get in it. Is that what do you mean you cannot get in it? I was like, I just can't get in there. Too big. Can't get my head around it. To this day, I do not drive in America. Need to get my head around that. Second I thing. I can't give you too much stick because I actually just don't drive. You just can't drive. So, yeah. so, yeah. thing I can't do is change a car tyre. Most men can do this, especially by my age. Again, I don't I feel the need to do it. Do because there is somebody I'm very f- good at changing a tyre. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, ta- that's the thing. Taylor can change a tyre. Her dad taught her when she was young. I don't think it's got anything to do with gender. I just think it's you being incompetent. Yeah, uh, probably, yeah. She's the only female I've ever asked about if she can change a car tire, and she could. Um, Again, seems like a life skill I should probably have. I'm never going to have it. No. Never, ever am I going to change a car. It would never occur to me. You've got insurance? Of course I have. You've got roadside breakdown cover? Of course I've got roadside. Why would you need to? Exactly. It would not occur to me if I was driving along the motorway got a punctured tyre or it blew out or whatever happened to think, right, I'll fix this. No, I'm going to phone someone and sit there on my phone for 20 minutes while I wait for them. What if you had to wait for like 12 hours? Would you give <laughs> it a still, go? Yeah, there's loads of TikTok you can watch in 12 hours, right. Number one. I can't give you any stick because I don't drive. <laughs> number one, it's nothing if to do about with cars, driving. I'm out. Number one, I cannot do any sort of DIY. Any sort of DIY, IKEA furniture, hang pictures, fix the toilet, fix the taps, decorate, hang a TV, none of it. Not mm. done any of it. You know this about me. Yeah, right? I do know this about you. I'm, I can't, I can't get on board with this. I'm not very good at this stuff, but I'll always give it a go. Like my brother's far more technically handy than I am. Whereas, like, he's younger than me as well. If, like, dad was trying to do something around the house, he'd be, like, trying to get my eight-year-old brother rather than 11-year-old me to be, uh, be yeah. kicking around doing these things. But I have, since I got into my own my own place, yeah. I, I'm, I've i got better at this stuff have you? now. Yeah, I can I can, I can can do some sort of basic thing. I can hang pictures. I can hang... See, I haven't done any of this. I can put shelves up, I reckon, now. Um, it's all very important. I still probably wouldn't go any near any of the, like, really, like, technical stuff. I'm not trying to, you know, change, like, the plumbing. 
No. That's that's terrifying because yeah. I work. Some people do though. Some people would go on to Google, look it yeah. up, and follow it too much rather than pay someone to come out. It's not the paying someone to come out. I just it's, it's the generally I'd be like I'd be too scared of causing more damage than I had already rather than the actual like, idea. I, if if I knew that I wasn't going to cause damage, I'd give it a go. But mm. if I didn't, I, I wouldn't. wouldn't. See, and Taylor said, "Don't worry." I know what happens. You just won't try hard on anything you don't care enough about. And, and that absolutely is it to a T. If I do not care about something, I won't do it. It's been like that since I was at school. Like, at school, I was great. I was good in all my lessons, apart from art and design technology yeah, and religious fair. studies, because I just wasn't, I just wasn't into it. And I was just like, sorry, either can't. Art wasn't very good at it, so I was like, well, I'm not interested, I'm not good at it. Why would I carry on doing this? Not going to get better. Yeah, I, it was a weird one, like, because I'm quite arty in terms of, like, music and stuff, but I cannot draw or paint to save my life. Yeah. Um, and so I remember in third year, me and my friend Vincent got asked not to carry on with <laughs> art. Like, they were like, we'd like you not to do GCSE. And obviously neither of us were going to planning on doing GCSE art anyway. No. But we acted like this was a gigantic affront <laughs> to our sensibility. We were like, but sir, it's our dream to be artists. Like, we really, really want to be artists. And he was like, Boys, I'm gonna have to let you down slowly. There are other ways into other ways into art apart from through GCSE. I was like, no, I only appreciate the academic route. <laughs> we had we had this fella on ice for about half an hour, oh, but um, yeah, it was. I, I can completely understand that. I was also no good at either art or DT. Yeah, um, so apologies to Taylor. I'm just, just if that's what you're looking for in a man, you picked the wrong one. <laughs> yeah, things that <laughs> things that Dean is used to, sir. Um, a gibberish ranking for the ages, uh, and one that brings us to the end of this week's podcast. Uh, and all there's left to do is to say. Thank you very much for listening as ever. Thank you very much to Dean Jones. Cheers, mate. I've been Jack Collins. This has been Ranks FC. We hope you've enjoyed yourselves. Uh, if you're listening on a platform that gives you the ability to rate or leave a review, we would love that if they're going to be nice ones. But to be fair, if you've got an hour and, and then some into this podcast and you aren't enjoying it, then, then I'm hoping that that's not going to be a problem. So, uh, yeah, please leave us a review on Spotify or iTunes or, or wherever you can. Uh, we really, really appreciate it. And we will see you next week. Take it easy. Peace.